Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The word of the Lord. Lord God, would you grant to me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, using natural things, supernaturally, that I may open my mouth with boldness, that I may lift up the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you are revealed in Scripture. And Lord, help me to be practical and compelling and to lead people once again to the marriage supper of the Lamb as we this day experience a foretaste and an appetizer of that meal in the Lord's Supper. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now as we look at Revelation chapter 5, we see the history book about to be opened. Because the book of Revelation, as we saw two weeks ago, talks about things that must take place. And you know, we're always curious, aren't we, to know the future. That's why people read horror scopes. That's a Massachusetts pronunciation. Anyhow, horror scopes. People think that they can understand what's going to happen in the world. And you know, people try to analyze things all the time. Stockbrokers try to figure it out. People that have insights. Think of Warren Buffett and uh, all the things. You know, he did very well with his fund. And uh, people make these predictions. But you know what? No one knows the future but one. Jesus said, speaking as a human being who was at both and the same time God Almighty, concerning the time of his second coming, he did not know. If the Lord Jesus Christ did not know the time of his second coming, but only the Father, how much more then should it behoove us to be careful about a lust to know the future? You know, I could be killed on the road home today. And I think back to 33 years ago today. Columbus Day it was on a Monday when my wife was almost killed. When she was run over by the rear tandem axle of a log truck as she and another lady returned from a little town called DeRitter and went through the country roads in an old two-lane bridge with steel railings on both sides across the Calcasieu River. And a log truck had just dumped its load of logs and had jacked up the rear tandem axle. And as the log truck entered the bridge 
And as the little Toyota station wagon that the lady was driving entered the bridge, suddenly the rear tandem axle broke loose. And that's a total of eight wheels that came barreling towards that Toyota pickup truck. And the door on the passenger side acted as a shield around my wife to keep her from being utterly crushed, though her hip was broken in three places and a nerve was severed in her brain. I received an odd phone call at the church, and my dear friend who died this past year, Merrill Blackburn, came to tell me, said, Bob, a man just called on the phone and said that Sandy's been in a terrible wreck, and that's all he said. Wow. We tried calling hospitals, we tried doing everything, and later I got a phone call from Cabrini Hospital. My wife was helicoptered there by uh, a helicopter ambulance. And I have a newsreel of that, strangely, because my friend was one of the few people that owned a VCR in central Louisiana, and he recorded the 10 o'clock news because they had her on there. Wow. 33 years ago today, you never know what's going to happen on a day. What would have happened if we had known that was going to happen? Well, God's will would not have been done. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about all of the things that happened that if you could avoid them, you would avoid them? And yet if we understand the purpose of history... God is working in history to gather to himself his people. And he uses strange things. He uses terrible things. He uses things that seem to be the worst possible things to accomplish his will. I'm glad that I don't know the future. I really am. Because I would take steps to avoid it. But you know what? There is incredible hubris that's a Greek word of pride, particularly pride against the gods. And terrible, hub terrible hubris to think that I can really do something and alter God's determinate will. Because in God's determined purpose, evil and good take place. 33 years ago today, my wife's life was profoundly changed. My mother, who once taught obstetrical nursing at Vanderbilt University, was senile, and she lived with us, as did our five children, from a four-year-old to a senior in high school. It was a very lonely time. I didn't know whether she would live or die. She went into a coma. When she came out of that coma, she was very different. My wife was raised by a woman who was afraid of everything. And Sandy had one terrible flaw. She was frightened of many things, thunderstorms and everything else. But when she came out of that coma, three days later in ICU at Cabrini Hospital, she was no longer afraid of anything at all. I'm serious. I have never seen her afraid since then. And the other thing she came back from there with is that she had this profound sense that time is running out, that time is short, and that whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we need to be about doing. Where did she go? I believe 
that she went to heaven. And that is what she believes. And my proof for that is the profound change in her life. It changed her forever, 33 years ago today. So as we look at this passage of Scripture in Revelation 5, where the Lamb is introduced as going to open the scroll, that takes us back to where we were two weeks ago. And when we're told here, turning across the page there, page 1918, to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And we saw two weeks ago that these four living creatures resemble the banners of the four chief tribes in the march of Israel. The lion for Judah, the calf for Ephraim, the eagle, the great enemy of the snake for the tribe of Dan, and the other one, which is the face of a, uh, of an, uh, let's see, uh, an eagle, the face of a man because that was the tribe of Reuben, and Reuben was the firstborn. And the Hebrew word for head, or first, is Rosh. And so a human head was the flag of the tribe of Reuben. And so as you see these four creatures, they resemble the presence of God in the camp of Israel as it set out on its march. And we're told here that each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying. Now I want you to focus on this with me for a moment. Is heaven a place where you get to do just whatever you want to do? Like Sunday, you go home, you gorge on a gargantuan meal, and then you fall asleep and you sleep like you never sleep any other day in the week. And when you wake up, you turn on that idiot box and watch something. And uh, is that what, what heaven is like? Is heaven like a great lake full of fish? And if you enjoy fishing, man, you catch them constantly. What is heaven like? You want to know what heaven's like? Heaven is like hell to people who don't love Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Heaven is like hell to people who don't love Jesus. Because I want you to see what he's saying here. In this verse, verse 8, these four living creatures never stop doing one thing. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Think of it. Heaven is a place of worship. And the book of Revelation is a book about worship. It's a worship manual. And what is the focus of worship? Is it that the music makes us feel good? Is it the sermon moves us? Is it that we are entertained by a storyteller? Is it that we're kept awake by someone whose tactic is always to read everybody in there constantly? And if somebody's dozing off to do something that will wake them up... What's worship? Worship isn't focused on people. It's not focused on the preacher or the wonderful pianist or the song leader. Worship is focused on God himself. And who is this God? 
We're told that he is the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that takes us back, if you look in the margin there, to Isaiah 6.3. It's exactly that revelation. What is heaven like? Heaven is hell for people who don't love Jesus. Because heaven is a place of worship. You don't catch fish in heaven. You're not a great hunter in heaven. You don't get that 20-point buck in heaven. It's not like winning the lottery. It's not even like a great concert. It's not a place with smoke and mirrors and incense and all of that in the earthly, worldly sense. It is a place of incense. But we see later what that is. Look with me, if you will, for a moment at Isaiah 6.3. Isaiah 6.3, page 1068. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, the burning ones. It's the same Hebrew word to describe the fiery serpents in the wilderness that bit the Israelites. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling one to another. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is Yahweh Sabaoth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what heaven's like. Do you want to go to heaven? Many people would prefer going to hell. Of course, they think hell is going to be fun because that's where all the people who are fun get to go. That's where the great comedians are and the great generals of history and presidents and kings and counselors and prime ministers. All the heroes, religious leaders. Wow. Hell. But hell isn't that way. Hell is the loneliest place in the universe because people don't get to see each other. They only hear the cries of the damned. In a place that is described in the imagery of the garbage dump of Jerusalem, Gehenim, Gehenna, the valley of the sons of Hinnom. Wow. It's a place where the fire never burns out. It's where the gnawing worm never dies. It's where people have no fellowship. They're utterly excluded. It's like the supreme COVID-19 shutting down of everything. And your TV won't work either. Wow. Hell is a lonely place. But heaven isn't a place just where we get to see all our friends. Oh, wow. It's so good to see you again. Heaven's focus is the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the Lord, Adonai, of verse 1. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, sometimes called Jehovah. And notice he's thrice holy. What does that tell you? No one can read the book of Revelation and fail to understand that there is such a truth as the doctrine of the Trinity. That is, there is one true God, the Father's God, 
The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They're not three gods. There's one God. And we're introduced to this God again in Revelation chapter 4, just before we're introduced to the eternal Son of God in chapter 5, who controls history. He's got the history book. He takes it from the Father's side, and he opens it. What's heaven like? Well, here it is. Verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold, threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What's that? You want to see God? The most terrifying thing that a person could ever encounter is actually to see God. Because no one can see God himself can see an outline. They can see the shadow. They can see the reflection. They can see this and that reflected in the glassy sea. But no one can see God and live. Because that sight which is on the one hand the greatest of all sights is also the most terrifying. And what is the reaction of Isaiah to this loud, terrifying, earthquake feeling Smoke-filled vision. Look at verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow. You want to see God? You want to see God this morning? You want to encounter the living God? The living God is the most terrifying thing that there is because He is not created. He is the Creator. And what is the reaction of every biblical writer who has some sense of a vision of who God is? There it is. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm undone. I want you to reflect with me as we think about the history books that we'll be looking at in the weeks to come with the Lamb opening the scroll. I want you to think about history for a moment. Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a student of history. There's never been a golden age. There's never been an age where, oh, I'd like to live back then. Because history is is written by liars. The only honest history that's ever been written is in this book. Think about it. I remember last Sunday night after I preached in Baton Rouge at the installation of a new pastor. We spent the evening with our son and his two sons. His wife came up to be with her mother on her late father's birthday. And we watched a film of the battle of the Greeks versus the Persians. What a load of hooey. What craziness. Let me say the Greeks were far worse people than the Persians. Wow, that's amazing. But history is written by the winners. Have you ever thought about it? People that go to war believing oh, we're, our cause is right. I want to say that apart from the divinely authorized wars of Israel, there's never been a just war. 
No, not one. And governments, we think, oh, this was a truly great president. I'm going to tell you, every single solitary American president left to himself is burning in hell. Every great general burning in hell. What is our hope if history is a pack of lies, if it's written by people who were propaganda writers, if there never was a golden age, if there's never been a hero in history? Wow, but there is a hero in history. And the hero in history, the only hero in history, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who can take the book of history from the side of the Father and open it and reveal what is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ. Think of somebody that you greatly admire. If you really know the person as that person really is, you would shudder because there's none worthy. There are no heroes. Not a single hero in history. I'm not saying that people haven't done heroic things. I'm not saying that people haven't, by faith, done amazing things. I'm saying that if we are measured by ourselves, who we really are, when the facade is ripped off, when nobody's looking, the secrets of our heart are laid bare. The secret of your life, the secret of my life, Do I want displayed up there in technicolor with fabulous sound every event in my entire life? If you could see every event in my life, I would be so humiliated I would run from this room. But remember this, the greatest preachers, the greatest leaders, the greatest church leaders, all of us, If we could know our own hearts. And the problem is the profound ability of human beings, given the nature of total depravity, that has left nothing unaffected by sin. I'm able to look in the mirror this morning as I shaved and think, Bob, you're a pretty good fellow. Because I am a master of deception when it comes to deceiving myself. So there's only one hero. And the purpose of worship is that we would worship that one true and living God. And my purpose as a preacher this morning is to rip the idols away. To tear down the monuments to human beings. To realize that while I'm an American and I love my country, this country has visited terrible atrocities on other people believing that it was doing good. That's the horrible thing about the day of judgment. When everything is revealed, we'll discover who everybody that we ever admired really was like. So what is our comfort? What's our encouragement? It's that lamb, the lion of Judah, of chapter 5. My comfort is this. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased me with His own blood. He shed His precious blood to wash away all my sins. And He lived a perfect life, impeccable, perfectly obeying the law of God. And that has been put to my account. That's my only hope. My hope is built on nothing less. 
but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, that is, feeling good, feeling good about myself, feeling good about being here this morning. What's the purpose of worship? The purpose of worship is get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off people, get your eyes off your country, get your eyes off of preachers, and look at God. The majestic God, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> the presence of such a holy God, I'm compelled to do one thing. What my wife was on her way to do when she was snatched back from heaven. She never saw God, thank God. But snatched back to come and live in a house with a senile mother-in-law, five children squabbling. But what I want us to see is this. The purpose this morning is to focus on the living God. You're here to worship, and you can worship this morning because the Lamb shed His blood that you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, even if you've committed first-degree murder and nobody knows, and when that once that door is opened and all of the secrets are revealed, you've got an advocate with the Father, and so do I. The lawyer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who at the cost of His own blood has fully satisfied for all our sins. Let's pray. Lord, as we remember the death of Jesus, give us to remember that in the annals of history, there has never been a hero Never a hero. Never a truly great man. Even in our history, in our pantheon of leaders in America, no president, no congressman, no senator, no general can stand before a thrice holy God except as he stands in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my glory are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, boldly shall I lift up my head. In Jesus' name, amen.